Father in heaven, I want to again invite your presence to thank you for your blessing, for your presence, and for your eagerness for us to be successful in our spiritual gardening as well as in our secular pursuits as we seek to learn better how to grow healthy food. We ask that you will open our minds, that your presence will be here in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things. First off, I'm only a third here this morning, and um, you can see the, the space where the other mics are supposed to be being used are vacant. So if I don't speak very intelligently this morning, you'll know why, because my wife is definitely not only the more beautiful half, she's really pretty, but she's um, she made a very pretty daughter, and she's not here, and uh, both of them have more intelligence than I have, and they're not here, so like I said, I just really don't have a lot going for me today. And uh, we have a lot of fun when we do this together, because... Um, when I met her, um, well, I know that you didn't come here to hear my story about how I met my wife, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, I don't even, I remember sitting beside her, sharing a hymn book with her, and there was no face. She remembers sitting beside me, sharing the hymn book with me, and saying, oh, yuck. So, neither of us are really sure which was the better impression. But um, when we actually uh, went on a date, which had been set up, uh, it didn't take very long for me to figure that, that she was going to be somebody that I wanted to get to know because after about 30 minutes, we could finish each other's sentences, and for the last 29 years, we're still doing that. So you can see, she comes up here and finishes my sentences and puts the more intelligent thing there, and I'm like, oh my, I'm in trouble, because I spent all this time trying to say it the long way, and she said it far more intelligently in one sentence. So I always like that, and uh, we like to joke around with each other. So she's supposed to walk up here at the... Uh, end of the presentation. She had to go do something else, and um, my daughter won't be here at all because she has to get stuff, shipping orders, shipping from the farm. She's responsible for that. So um, the more useful information to you is that I've had a lot of people ask me for uh, more information about something I said. The problem is, is that I looked into it. We don't have a very good way of printing at the farm where I have an inkjet printer available, and that's way too slow. And um, with all the other things going on, I don't have a lot of time to do it either. So I made up a form here. Anybody who wants uh, any particular information from the seminar, uh, this will be available after the meeting today as well as tomorrow. Uh, I'll take them out there so we won't interfere with the next meeting. And you can put your name and email address and physical address, either or both. And um, depending on how you want to receive it. And uh, I'm in the process of trying to make a syllabus
for kind of summarizing everything in more detail. So if you want to get any of that kind of stuff, just, just remember to put that down. And um, with that out of the way, uh, I will also say that my wife, for those of you who go to the farm store and sample some of the stuff, she, I asked her this morning if she had made um, another smoothie, and she said, yes, I did. So when she was gone, I sampled it, and I said, um, is that what you're going to be giving people today? So if you want to try that, it's different, and it's really good. But uh, if you want to try that, come down to the store, and uh, uh, she's got, she'll have several things there that uh, I think you will be intrigued with. So, um, don't let me make you think that it wasn't good, because it really was. So, today I want to talk about intelligent weed control, and I'm not sure that those two words belong in the same sentence, but um, before we actually talk about the weeds in your garden, I want to highlight uh, some of the spiritual lessons that we can get from the garden. And uh, there's a passage here that I uh, like a lot from Romans 12.20. It's been a guiding principle in my spiritual experience. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, when you read that text, what does that text tell you? Well, if you want to be really simple, it says there's two things. There's evil and there's good. And there's a particular process that we can go through to eliminate evil. Now, I think that most of us would agree that we are products of our culture. There's a lot of things that we do that we don't do because we actually looked at all the evidence and came to an intelligent understanding of what was really going on and intentionally decided upon a course of action. Usually we do something because even though we don't necessarily think about it, it's because that's what everybody else did, that's because that's what my parents taught me to do, the culture that was around me. And so, so when we're talking about overcoming evil, we have certain assumptions, presumptive processes that we go through about how we're supposed to do that. And um, I'm going to highlight this paragraph from Christ's Object Lessons that I've referenced for the last three days. He who gave the parable of the tiny seed is the sovereign of heaven and the same laws that govern earthly seed sowing govern the sowing of the seeds of truth. In other words, if you want to know, and this is the side we always look at, if you want to know how to get a better spiritual experience, you can get practical lessons from your garden. But the reverse is also true. If you want some ideas on how to deal with things in your garden, you can get some practical ideas from your spiritual experience. Did you ever think of that? 
I'm going to um, I'm going to stretch the laws of seed sowing to apply them to weeds in the garden. And I don't think that that is an inappropriate stretch because the same laws that govern the growth of weed seeds govern the growth of good seeds. The only difference is what you see here from Penn State University. This is how the College of Agriculture defines a weed. It's a plant out of place, not intentionally sown, whose undesirable qualities outweigh its good points. Some crop plants even can become weeds when they grow where they are not wanted. So when we look at that definition in our spiritual life, we see that, that anything that is occupying space in a garden, now what's, what's the garden spiritually? My mind, right? How does, well, before I ask that question, what is the seed, the Word of God, or there are weed seeds. Remember, right after Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seed, he had the parable of the tares. There are two kinds of plants that can grow in your mind. There are ones that are productive, and that's the definition of a weed, is that it doesn't actually produce or accomplish anything good for you. It detracts from the objective that you have. Weeds are not generally bad in and of themselves. They are bad because they are, they are inhibiting the goal you have for the garden. They are keeping you from achieving the productivity that, I mean, why not let the weeds grow? Because if you do, you won't get much of a harvest. So when you, when, you, um, when you look at this, this idea, how do you have, if, if, the, if the seed is the Word of God, and the only way the Word of God can be in your mind is through your thoughts, right? So a weed is a plant that is taking up space in your garden, space that should be being devoted to something more productive. And by extension, not only is it taking up space, but it's absorbing resources that should be being devoted to producing something good. Now, that actually, as you stop and think about it, in your life, um, you might start, for me, start getting a little bit uncomfortable because you realize that there's a lot of things that everybody else around you might think, and even you yourself, because that's what everybody does and what everybody has done. There might be a lot of things that we do in our life that we think, hey, there's nothing wrong with it, right? But it's occupying space, it's taking mental thought and absorbing resources from our mind that could be being put to something more productive. That is the definition of a weed. So when you look at, when you look at uh, overcoming sin, there's a lot in, in, 
in uh, Christian circles, there's a lot of thought oftentimes put into overcoming sin. Well, what is sin? Sin is the weeds. It's the stuff in your life that is taking up space that is not producing a harvest. The gardener cares about one thing and one thing only, and that is getting the maximum amount of productivity out of the garden. You want good tomatoes. You want good kale, right? And you want, you want sweet, crunchy, juicy corn. Whatever it is, you don't grow the garden because you have this ache in your heart to have a weed-free patch. You have a garden because you have an ache in your heart for some delicious produce coming out of that garden. The object of your spiritual life is not overcoming sin. That is the necessary step to your objective. The objective is productivity. The, Jesus says that, that the father would, was the gardener in John, and he said he would prune the vine in order to make it what? More productive. God is after productivity. He's after a harvest. And, he, and the fig tree that didn't produce a harvest, he cursed it and it died. That is, that is a plain, plain teaching in Scripture. That God's objective is, and you see this in, in Isaiah, put a vineyard in, and when he came back expecting fruit and there was none, he said, I'm going to take away the fence. I'm going to let it be trampled underfoot. I'm going to abandon it. Why? Not because there are weeds, but because it wasn't productive. There's a story that Jesus told that probably... There's a lot of things that we should be looking at in terms of how to best overcome. And um, going back to that text from Romans chapter 12, it said to overcome evil how? With good. And when you start thinking about the garden and you start thinking about your spiritual life, and you put two of them, both of them together, and kind of look at them one and then the other and back and forth like that, you can get some really interesting, I think, ideas. And we're going to be looking at, and I really want to emphasize this, because we're going to be looking at the, the aspect of weeding in the garden. And one should be thinking, if you can, at some point, about what you can learn from that to apply to your spiritual experience, because that's really what, what is our ultimate goal. But also, as we look at that from a spiritual perspective, it makes it a lot easier to understand certain things from a gardening perspective, as I said. So, if you want to overcome evil with good, is the best way to overcome sin by becoming aware of what the sin is in your life and praying about overcoming that sin and studying, etc. Is that overcoming evil with good? Remember that a, that a plant in your mind represents something, a thought, that is in your mind. That's how things take up space in your mind. 
Does that make sense? So when you look at, if I'm focusing on overcoming sin, what am I doing? I'm giving sin space in my mind. I'm actually cultivating weeds. And guess what happens when you devote resources towards a plant? It flourishes. Romans 12 is teaching us that if you want to overcome sin, you've got to deprive the weed, you've got to deprive that sin from any kind of thought at all by focusing instead of on trying to overcome sin, on focusing on trying to become productive. The very act of becoming productive, the very act of ministering, of accomplishing anything of value, is occupying your mind with good thoughts, good plants that are producing a useful harvest. You are not going to be successful in overcoming sin by seeking to overcome sin by any method. You are going to be successful, gardening teaches us, at overcoming sin primarily by devoting all the space in your garden to productive thoughts and activities and preventing any thoughts from coming into your mind. With that said, let's get into, and I think some of this will become more sensible as we move forward. Uh, before we go on to the weeds, uh, there's a couple people that, that uh, asked me to put this up here, and uh, I said I would yesterday because it was too small in type. So I'm just going to review this here in that 4 by 12 raised bed there. Uh, can you see this? Okay. Um, hopefully you can. There's carrots, beets, lettuce, radish, bunching onions, bok choy, cabbage, turnips, kale, and chard. You can put all kinds of things there, but this is what, what uh, kind of stuff we grow. And, um, and you can see for a family of four, I allocated that you would use that particular number of those items, which is a lot of fresh produce for, for four people. And uh, the total space that that would take during normal growing season, not the extended time at the spring and fall where plants are growing slowly, um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't even actually fill up that entire bed. But um, I will put, if you fill out this thing, this, uh, this sheet here, I will get that with spacing and stuff like that to you in the future. So, and then also this one here, um, I put it up, but somebody asked for me to put it up again, and I know that, that um, you would like it on paper, hard copy, and I will make that available. Uh, we use, and my wife said, you know, you need to clarify because I said something different than you. And since she's right, I have to admit my mistake and, um, and say that I have to correct what I put here. I put down sphagnum peat, which will work. But she said that what I need to put there is coconut core, which will also work. But I put sphagnum peat, and I like cocoa, cocoa better than sphagnum peat, but I put sphagnum peat because it's more readily available. That's the only reason. She's right in the fact that I prefer 
the cocoa over the sphagnum peat, if that makes any difference to anybody, but you may not find the cocoa coir, coconut husks is what it is, they, where they raise all the coconut for you, typically in Sri Lanka, south of India, some out of Mexico as well. They, they take the, the shell and the husk of the coconut that has no use, and they grind it up and make a, a, uh, an amazing uh, potting media out of it. So it is, some, it is something that you can add to a mix. It's stable, and it um, has good drainage, has a lot of water holding capacity, and um, so it is something that can be, can be used there as well. So, intelligent weed control. Now, my experience is probably, that's as close to a cartoon as I ever want to get, but um, that is very typically my experience with weeds. Uh, something that gets more brawn than brain. And um, as we think about that, I promised you that there were going to be some biblical answers to weed control. This one is from Matthew 14. He directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. When in the world have you ever been to a meal where people focused on picking up the leftovers and keeping them? Jesus directed the disciples to do that. Why? Notice this um, point right here on the slide. God's character is universal. Who God is, is who God is. It isn't just something that he puts into a spiritual box somewhere. God works to eliminate waste. And um, he established physical laws in the universe that dictate that growing space is not wasted. If there is something that can be done with a resource he's created, he wants that resource to be used. God doesn't like sitting on wasted stuff, which is why when there was leftovers at the feeding of the 5,000, he directed the disciples to gather up the fragments, and he said, let nothing be wasted. That was a command from the universe director. Now, this one here might seem uh, that it doesn't have anything in common with that story, but hopefully you will agree with me when I'm done. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, Matthew 12, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. Now, this demon that was evicted from the mind of a person, when he came back, why could he get back in? When he arrives, the house was un occupied, swept clean, and put in order. Which of those three things was the reason the demon came back? Unoccupied. The house should have been swept clean. The house should have been put in order. But the house should not have been left unoccupied. 
So as soon as he sees that it is unoccupied, he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than before. Jesus is pointing out the one story here, we have the the feeding of the 5,000. He says, let nothing be wasted. Then he has this other story about the demon person actually, but the demon is, is, is the key character in the story. And the message there is that there was wasted space in that house. There was wasted space in the house. And if there's wasted space, there's a biological vacuum and something is going to fill it. And if it isn't filled with what's good, it will be filled with what's evil. It is a, it is a universal law. And finally, I want to read this again because I don't think it can be overemphasized. No one can succeed in agriculture or gardening without attention to the laws involved. The special needs of every variety of plant, including weeds, must be studied, and compliance with the laws governing each is a condition of success. If you want to be successful at weed control, you have to study the laws that govern weeds. So, weed control principle number one. Don't leave naked earth. Think about it. What do we love to see in a garden? We like to see bare brown earth with the plants growing, right? And whenever we see the weeds coming out up there, what do we do? We start hyperventilating and saying, I've got weeds in my garden to take out, and what we want is bare earth wherever there's not a plant. The other thing that you want in a garden is you want rich soil. If you have rich soil, what wants to happen in rich soil? Plants to grow. There's wasted, a wasted resource sitting there. There is rich soil that is capable of supporting growth. And if it's sitting there, something is going to grow. It is a universal principle designed by God himself that any biological resource is going to be used, it's going to be used for good or for evil. It's going to be used productively or unproductively. Weeds are merely unproductive plants. They're unproductive because they aren't doing something that you want them to be doing. They aren't producing something for you, okay, which is part of that full circle thing. They're supposed to be ministering to you. If you're ministering to the garden, the garden's supposed to be ministering to you, and and that includes every plant there. And if they're not ministering to you, you don't like them and you want to get rid of them. So, how do you avoid having naked soil? What do we do? We put clothes on. Okay? So we've got to change the way that we garden. Okay? One of the obvious things, of course, is to use mulches. Uh, a lot of you have tried chips successfully. Cover the bare ground. Now, this isn't necessarily the best way, but sometimes it's the only way to use mulches. You can use grass. Uh, In Michigan, there's lots of grass that grows. In Arizona, I can't say the same thing. But um, we have a particular hell there because, because we have most of our rain. It's the only place in North America like it. We have summer monsoons. 80% of our precipitation comes during the summertime. 
And so we have bare brown soil all the time, except for when weeds will grow really well. And that's, of course, when it rains, and then the weeds will grow really well. And because it's so hot, you can get some amazing growth in a big hurry. Like when I get back, my wife and I, as I said earlier, we go out at 5 o'clock. We have about 12 acres of field crops in addition to our greenhouse and stuff. And so we go out for our own enjoyment and weed in the morning. And we had the weeds pretty well under control in those 12 acres when I left. And I'm sure when I get back, because they had a rain on Sabbath, I'm going to find weeds probably six inches tall. But um, they, we use polymulch there to eliminate most of our weed issues. And um, weed mat. And I'm going to, if I can, if I can um, demonstrate something here. You can buy this kind of stuff. You've probably seen it. Weed mat. And you've seen it, I'm sure, very readily available in a lot of different places. And you can ask you can ask um, Randy from the farm where this stuff came from. But um, we normally put this kind of stuff in the walkways, right, where we are going to walk and where there's not ever going to be any need for plant. But you can put this on top of, for example, many of your plants are going to be like carrots where they're really close together and you've got a row. But a lot of the plants that we have, like tomatoes and kale and, and many of the plants, really the spacing is not that close. So you can, and that's what we in essence do commercially, you can take your weed mat and you can cut a little hole and everywhere where you want to put a plant, you can cut a hole and you can have that as your permanent planting point, right? So you lay this out over your raised bed, for example, wherever you're going to want to put things, and there won't be any weeds except for possibly a few will come up right around the plant. Now you've eliminated that naked earth space by about 95%. Very simple procedure to follow to, to take care of a good part of your garden. You can put weed mat down or chips. I like, the, I like the more natural components like chips better, or you can even put something like this down and then put chips on top of it to give you a a um, more earthy feel, but uh, where the plants are growing as well, you can use stuff like this if you choose in order to eliminate a lot of the weeds very simply. Now it doesn't work, like I said, for radishes and, and carrots and things like that, 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 um, that if you put one in for every, a hole for every plant, uh, you wouldn't end up with much mat. Then, um, I've mentioned this is something that is beginning to be experimented with a lot uh, called living mulch. I haven't, uh, we're trialing it, but it's very difficult to do in Arizona because of our inconsistent rainfall. But um, you can plant, you can even take grass, but you can use preferably something leguminous. And there are many, many species of plants. Some of them do not get very tall, certain species of clover, for example do not get very tall, and for certain kinds of plants, you can put a living mulch down and cut a hole in that in, the, in your essentially lawn and uh, put your plant there and let the rest of it grow. And, um, and that suppresses weeds well. But 
Um, I'm just mentioning that. I have not tried that myself. We were experimenting with it, but I haven't, I haven't enough information to, to tell you, but I know that a lot of people are using it successfully. Okay? Now, those are the obvious solutions. And uh, I'm just going to show you a picture from one of our um, high tunnels here. You can see that we've used pecan shell, which is, which is very similar to wood chips, uh, in between the rows in order to prevent weed growth. Works very well. And um, the next point, which I think is even more importantly, if the object of your garden is to produce things, why not use the space to grow Plants, productive plants. Okay, why would we have, why would we have space, unused space between any garden plant? Why wouldn't all the leaves be touching? Now I know that um, there are certain ways that we have gardened, and many of those ways that we garden, like using rows, actually developed in commercial agriculture, and that's the way that we do it in our home garden, not because somebody intentionally thought through, is this the best way to plant? Is, is putting in a row the way we should do things? No. If you're using a horse and plow or a tractor, you have to use rows. And so that's what we do in our garden because that's what everybody else does. Okay? But we can use plant density to advantage. Keep the ground covered with good plants. Now here's, a, a, here's another plug for transplanting. When you transplant, there's less time with bare earth, which means, you know, if you put a plant already three weeks old out in the garden, that's three weeks that a weed won't have time to grow before that plant grows up big enough to cover that space. So if you transplant, you're going to help reduce the weed pressure. And I'm going to reiterate something that I've said before, there is no magic bullet for weed control. I don't care if you're organic or not organic, there is no magic bullet for weed control. And uh, again, going back to the spiritual side, I think that we also know there is no magic bullet for keeping good in our life and not evil. Uh, we, we find that, um, that Thoughts that are not the most productive, some that uh, should not be in our mind, kind of get there no matter how hard we work uh, to the contrary. And uh, don't let anybody ever say that I said that was okay. This whole presentation is about how not to deal with weeds. So the first thing is, don't give weeds a chance. And I think that that's the same thing in your life. Keep your mind filled with good, productive things. Keep the soil in your garden covered with good, productive things, and you'll have a whole lot less of a problem with weeds. Now, here's a, here's a picture of... This is, a, this is a, funny, a funny camera profile. This, this is a, like a field of watermelon, okay? Like acres. But... Uh, I just, you can just see some earth on the side there. That's probably, that's probably 50 feet away. You see much bare ground there? Okay. With watermelon, when it gets like this, you don't have to deal with weeds because there's not any bare earth. So 
that's not the way the watermelon starts. And when we put the watermelon out, we have to make sure that we keep the weeds out until the plants bind out enough. But once they cover like that, then you basically are over with any issue with weeds. And uh, you can see here, this is lettuce that we've transplanted into our beds, and you can see bare earth. But in two weeks, it looks like this. So we do almost no weeding in these beds, and of course that's one of the reasons why I like, as I said yesterday, using raised beds, because you can uh, put soil in there if you choose that doesn't have a lot of pre-existing weed seeds, and you can have a lot better success that way. And I should add that in suggesting the raised bed method, I'm certainly, I'm certainly not um, suggesting that that's the only way. And for many people, it might not even be the best way. I'm just throwing it out there as a suggestion because there's certainly some benefits. And uh, so when we look at the whole principle here, we're using something that in, in scientific agriculture is called integrated pest management, only we're not applying it to typical pests like insects, we're applying it to pesky weeds. But the same approach is, you're not looking for one silver bullet, you're not going out there and trying to find Roundup or 2,4-D or, or whatever it is, and saying, okay, I spray this and I don't have a weed problem. But we're saying there's a lot of different angles and we can take advantage of each of those angles. And so the first one we're looking at is, we want to reduce the opportunity for weeds to grow. So we don't leave naked earth because if you have that bare, rich soil, something is going to want to grow. So why make extra work for yourself? So come up with, with ways of, um, of covering that earth. And one of the approaches, of course, is to try to use a much higher density planting. You can put lettuce eight inches apart over an entire four-foot bed. And so you have eight-by-eight eight spacing of lettuce. There isn't space then after the first few weeks, especially if you transplant after the first few weeks, there isn't space then for the weeds to come up. And so therefore, you have a lot less of an issue. I'm not going to say you won't have any issue. That would be lying. But you certainly reduce the pressure. Now, here's a really, really, really dumb idea. Smaller gardens equal less area for weeds. That's kind of novel thought, isn't it? Okay? If you want to reduce the amount of bare earth, how about having less bare earth to begin with? So, if you make a highly productive, efficiently growing, rich soil so that you can get a lot of plants out of a small area, then you right off the bat have less weeding to do. And if you have a 5,000 or 10,000 square foot garden, you are going to have a lot of space to weed. Either that or you're going to have an awful lot of plants to take care of. Um, we, we, feed, we feed the better part of 600 families a week in our farm in Arizona on just about 10,000 square feet. That's, you can get a lot. I and mean, we have four people full time. You can get an awful lot of product out of 10,000 square feet. An awful lot, if you grow it well. And so, you know, 
if you, if you want to have an inefficient garden space, then what you're going to end up with, there's only one way I can sit. You're going to end up with a lot of space for weeds to grow. And a lot of your time is going to go towards weeding. So, you know, I know um, I support anybody who wants to have a big garden. I think it's terrific. But uh, just recognize that one of the most fundamental principles of gardening is let nothing be wasted, meaning don't have a bigger garden than you need. And if you need 5,000 square feet, great, but make sure that you're actually getting 5,000 square feet's worth of plants out of there, and that should be enough to feed everybody in your block. Okay? Weed control principle number two. Okay? Avoid exposure to weed seeds. That's kind of a dumb thing. You shouldn't have to sit in a chair and listen to somebody tell you that uh, the best way to not have weeds is to not have weed seeds. But, even though that sounds very simple, a lot of times we, um, we overlook that. Proverbs 26.2 The curse what? Causeless shall not come. In other words, anytime there's a curse, and our weeds a curse, okay, this text tells us that weeds aren't going to come without a cause. Meaning, weeds do not exist by spontaneous generation. There was no time in history where a weed just suddenly decided to grow and it just came from nowhere. In other words, every weed that you see in your garden came from a seed. So if you don't want weeds, don't just focus on, boy, I've got to go out there and break my back and try to pull weeds. Focus at least some of your energy on trying to keep the seeds out. Now, Everybody, you know, been around here this week, and you see weed seeds blowing in the wind. And uh, so this is not, like everything else I'm saying, this is not a cure-all. This is only one tool in your toolbox. But don't neglect this tool just because it's only one. Okay. One of the simple things that you can do most weed seeds are not going to travel very far, even though some of them, it's like uh, any scientist knows you've got a Gaussian curve. There's going to be some weed seeds that only go a few inches from the plant, some that go longer distances, and a very few that will go a very long distance. But the fact is, is that a significant number of those weed seeds will not go very far from the plant. So if you take your garden area and you try to keep a buffer from anything that is not in your garden so that those seeds are going to be less likely to blow in. It's going to reduce the number of seeds. And this is, this is what it's all about, being intelligent in trying to manage your weeds. You're not going to find one silver bullet. I can't overstress that point. But you keep in mind where the seed's coming from and try to keep them from getting into your garden. So if you can... Are there physical barriers you can use? Like put your garden with a, eventually try to put a hedge or something around the edge of your garden, the direction of the prevailing wind, so that it will tend to make a barricade. Okay? And then this is really, really an obvious thing too. And it's an obvious one that I fall into all the time. There's a weed in my garden that uh, is 
only one weed, and it's in the corner, and um, I'm busy. And the next thing I know, especially these thistles, you know, because you can see them. The next thing you know, it's uh, going to seed. Well, what did I just do? I had one plant, and by neglect, I now am going to fight with a thousand seeds. And the funny thing about seeds is they have a very... Seeds do not, especially weed seeds, do not germinate when they get water. They germinate when they jolly well feel like it. And that might be years. There is a, there's a funny thing in there, and it's, and it's something that God put in there in order to, for the survival of species, is that only a part of the weeds will germinate the first year or right away or whenever it is. Some of them have a, a special adaptation that keeps them from germinating sometimes for years. And so by my neglect of taking one weed out that I knew was there or should have known was there, I now subjected myself to years of issues with that weed. So, even though that seems obvious, it only takes a minute to take out one weed. So make sure that you get the weeds before they go to seed. And uh, mow to try to keep any that are going to seed near where your garden is as much as possible. If you have a small patch, you're kind of dependent on what's happening in the nature or the woods or neighbor or something else. And uh, then one of my favorites here, I can't help but put in a plug for this, when possible, use protected agriculture, um, greenhouses and low tunnels and things like that because you tend to have less exposure to weed seeds. Now, see, if my wife was here, she could be standing up and putting in a plug for some of her green smoothies while I was dealing with my technical issues. Okay? We'll see if this works now. I don't know why it jammed on that slide. You can put this. Is it, uh, is it not showing up? There. Okay. The third principle of weed control is timing. Proverbs 20, verse 4. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. Part of plowing is to accomplish what? Prepare the soil. Today we like to plow in part because it helps turn in the weeds. Obviously there's a lot to that, but I'm just saying that's a tiny little part, but it is, it's certainly a factor. When you look at timing, I just kind of emphasized that a minute ago, but remove weeds with the right tools at the right time. Now a little later, assuming my presentation doesn't jam up again, I'll... Uh, just briefly look at a couple of those tools. But um, remove weeds with the right tools. It's a lot easier to use the traditional hoe that we generally use. That's good for a weed that should never have been there to begin with. You know, hack away at some giant weed. It should never, ever have gotten that big. And if you're going to take weeds out when they should, you can use uh, collinear hose, stirrup hose, and they, they cover a lot of ground with very little effort. And so if you take them out at the right time and use the right tools, it, um, it makes weeding so much easier. This is one that, that we use effectively. You let the weeds grow before you put the garden plants in. Now it's easier to do that if you're transplanting because it means that you can, in the garden, you can 
leave your soil without any plants in it for a few extra weeks while you're waiting for the transplants to grow up. And that can, it's just a novel approach, you can get some weeds coming up and then go in and till the ground again before you actually put the weeds in. And so the, I mean the, not the weeds, of course, the good plants, that gives you a chance to take out some of the weeds that are germinating. There are a finite number of them, even if it seems otherwise. And so you can kill some of those before there's any plants in by delaying the, um, the, the planting um, if, if it works for you to do that. Now this one here, I think, is one of the most important ones. When do weeds produce most of their seed? In the fall. When do you take your garden out? In the fall. What do you do when you take your garden out with your garden? You walk away and you leave it alone, right? And then the next year you wonder why there's so many weeds. Because, remember the parable that we looked at yesterday? While men slept, while men were not paying any attention, the enemy sowed tares, weeds. Have you ever asked the question, why do I leave my garden bare for all the weeds that are being produced all around me to blow in and, and plant themselves in my garden when there was nothing to protect that garden so that next year I'm going to have to work really hard to try to control them? You can probably the most effective thing you can do is after you've taken your garden out, late October, put in some annual rye or something like that that grows, that gets established and won't freeze out in the wintertime, or if, and if it does, at least it's, it's, um, it generally won't, um, get it established, and it's covering the ground. And the interesting thing about an annual rye is that when you turn it over in the spring, decomposing annual rye is allelopathic. You ever heard that word before? Allelopathic? I didn't make that up. Okay? Allelopathic means it kills plants. Annual rye, and some other plants too, mustard is one of them, but um, when rye breaks down in the soil, it kills any weed seeds that are germinating. And even seeds that aren't germinating. Mustard is particularly effective at that, but, but rye does too. Uh, we learned that painfully this spring because we, last fall, uh, we had an asparagus patch, a small one, and uh, one of my supervisors came and said, you know, we got some weeds in the asparagus. It's not a particularly big deal, but he wanted to try using this principle right here. So in the fall, after we mowed the, the asparagus off, he went in and put in a cover crop of annual rye. So what happened to my asparagus the next spring? I didn't have asparagus. Um, we ended up digging the crowns up and putting them somewhere else. Um, it, was, it was quite remarkable. So very simple procedure, but again, when you try to think about, when you try to think about your garden and weed management holistically, you want to try to make sure that you are not leaving places for weeds to grow. Cover that, cover that soil. Use mulches. Try to get the plant density. That's the, most, the first and most important step is try to get the plants in there as tight as is appropriate. If you put them too tightly, you won't get good production because you'll get a lot of leaves and not too much fruit. But 
make them as tight as appropriately, what you have to think about is how much space does a carrot actually need to grow? You ever ask that? I'm talking about the top. The bottom only takes about that much space, right? The top of the carrot can actually produce a good carrot in a space about that big. So we, we target in, in our farm, we have it figured out to the square inch, and we, we, we target about 25 carrots per square foot, which is about six, about six square inches per carrot, two by three. Okay, that gives enough room to make a nice carrot, but when you look at that carrot patch over the four-foot-wide bed, there is not one square inch of, you cannot see anything brown, just a sea of green. And of course, then you don't ever have to go in and weed it. So when you go with tight spacings, now if you tried to give that carrot two by two, or you know one and a half by three or something like that, where you start getting that area down to below what it is, you'll start getting smaller and smaller carrots, and you don't want that. But um, um, you can use that principle of maximizing the density of your plant, and you get two benefits out of it. You get weed control, and you get more product out of your garden. And uh, like I said, lettuce, eight inches by eight inches. Beets, beets um, in the, in the wintertime, we can grow beets at four inches by four inches in a, in a um, high tunnel where we are. But... Um, when it's warmer, we really need to be about six by six uh, because the beet top needs about that much to get a good-sized root on it. So you put the spacings tight. You're not having much in the way of bare earth, and you're getting a lot more plants than you imagined were possible out of your garden. And um, then, of course, trying to eliminate the weeds coming in and this one here, like I said, don't forget about your garden just because you're not interested in your garden anymore. It's only done what you needed to do. See, such a beautiful woman. I just got here, and I don't know if he covered this, but I just want to put in this little plug about the weeds. Um, when you have, I thought you were going to say something about green smoothies. Well, well, that's we're having a parsley green smoothie today. Hey, you weren't supposed to tell him what it was. I didn't know it was a secret. Well. It is not anymore. Anyways, um, about, about the raised beds, one of the things that's really good about them with weeds is, well, first off, as he's been saying, with the raised beds, you can get so much more stuff in that bed because you can grow the stuff right out to the edge of the wood, of the edges of the wood. So you, you grow stuff so densely. But also, automatically, when you have a raised bed, it automatically makes people think, oh, I don't want to step in that. And, and even when there's not stuff in it, people don't want to step in it. And in, in a regular garden, lots of times people tromp around in it, and so the ground gets more packed down, and so when there are weeds, they're a lot harder to pull. In a raised bed, the weeds really pop out so easily, the few weeds you do get. And so um, I didn't know if you told people that. I have not told people that. See, I said she's... she's um, hey, you need to keep this with you because you never know when you're going to want to say something that... Makes my presentation much more beneficial and interesting. You know, um, with what she was saying, we have, we have beds in our greenhouse, raised beds in our greenhouse, and um, they inherited a lot of weeds and, uh, from the dirt that we put in, but it's, that's a, a different explanation. Uh, but we can weed a 
bed is about three and a half feet wide and 128 feet long. And you can weed when there's a good crop of weeds in there, which isn't super intense, but we can weed that whole thing in, in about 20 minutes. Um, and, and not particularly that much energy. I'll take one of my supervisors and we'll just go through a walkthrough of the crop to see um, how things are doing. And I say, look, we're going to weed while we're inspecting the crop. So as we're looking at things, we just pull weeds and you get a bundle of weeds out of there, but they come out so easily, it just really makes the effort um, really minimalistic. The other thing was when you mentioned that hole, you didn't say it very clearly. I'm going to it's talk a, about okay. it. Uh, it's well, a stirrup pole, like the yep. stirrup on a, on a horse on saddle. On a saddle, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so there are, and, and then the other thing is, is that when you look at, at this um, weed mat, if you do make raised beds and you put some kind of mulch in the walkway, like um, wood chips, somebody here had put scrap carpet, which was quite attractive, um, but uh, the only thing you have to make sure is, is that plant weed, I mean plant roots can't get at it because typically things like carpet have synthetic fibers and glues and stuff on there which can be toxic so you don't want to have uh, root access to it. But you can, if you don't want to put in a cover crop, you can take and uh, staple a uh, mat like this, quite inexpensive, cover your raised bed just like you would well, you're not from Arizona. Like you can cover a swimming pool. Yes, the raised bed. You can, for the wintertime, right. So you can get the, keep the weeds off that way uh, pretty easily. You just have this, you roll it up in the spring. If you don't want to put the little holes in it, like I was talking about, but um, if, you have, if you have that, you can use that as a cover to, to uh, keep the weeds that are blowing around in the wintertime or in the fall when your garden isn't growing. Um, there are some other tools. I wanted to show this one here. This is a, this is a um, screen grab from a Johnny's seed catalog online. And this is a stirrup hoe. Now this particular one is seven inches wide. You can get them smaller. Uh, these things, they, um, they swivel. And uh, I wish that I had one to show you. But you can just walk down the row, you just walk down the row like this and all your weeds are gone behind you. It's, it's, it's quite easy, but they really work best when the weeds are very small. When you don't think you've got a weed problem is when you need to be getting the weeds out. And um, um, then there are, and I've saved this till the last, there are some organic natural materials that work as herbicides. And uh, they are the last line of resort for me to talk about. We don't use them because in Arizona, because it is so hot and dry, the weeds have a very thick, all plants have a very thick cuticle, which is the, the uh, epithelial layer of the, of the uh, leaf. And so it's difficult to get anything to work effectively. Even Roundup can sometimes not work very well on, uh, on weeds because they are so tough in the desert. But uh, if you get them when, uh, when they're small and they're growing fast, which is going to be most of the time in Michigan, then some of these 
Some of these uh, organic herbicides can actually be very effective. They're not cheap, but um, if it makes you feel really good to be able to spray something, um, and you feel kind of this certain sweet revenge in looking at that weed and saying, here, take this, then, um, and knowing that it's going to die a slow, miserable death, then uh, if, that, if that is the dark side of you, then, uh, then we do have some tools available for nurturing that component of your mind. So here's a, this, this one here is, a, is actually nothing more than food-grade concentrated vinegar. A very effective, I've had a lot of people tell in scientific studies, it can be a very effective herbicide, not so effective on grasses, but on broadleaf weeds, it can have close to 100% kill. And um, um, then here's one, I took this one off of Peaceful Valley. I'm sure there's a lot of other places that you can get it. This product here is called Weed Zap. And we have used Weed Zap, and what this is, um, this is a great way to put some beautiful scents in your garden. These are things, these are called essential oils, like it's uh, clove oil and um, um, some of these other herbs, and boy, does it ever smell good. And so you go out there and you spray your garden, and it just, it just makes a wonderful smell. And if the plants are small, it, um, it will work well. Here's a, here's a, I don't know if you can see the, the um, this is actually from, California, University of California, Davis, a study they did on some of these, these organic herbicides. And right down there, the second from the bottom, you can see Weed Zap at 10%. That's the second one I use, which is a um, uh, essential oil, clove and something else, might be rosemary. Um, anyway, if you get the plant when it's 12 days old, that's a pretty small plant, and at 100% kill. But as the plant got older, you can see that efficiency or efficacy significantly de declined. So if you see, sometimes you go out in your garden and you just see like literally thousands and thousands, this carpet of tiny little weeds just starting to emerge. You ever seen that happen? And um, when that happens, you can go out there with a product like that and put it in your sprayer and spray it and... Um, and you'll get pretty good kill. Now, I would say, if you have your Sturapo, you can get a pretty good kill that way too, pretty easily. But uh, this, is, this is one option. And um, it, so I'm just going to put that out. And you can see, um, this is another study on, on some different weeds. And you can see that it did not work as well um, under certain conditions. Pigweed. If it was in the shade, it got almost 100% kill, uh, the, where it's highlighted with blue, and under the sun only 27%. And that is because when the plant gets tougher, these products are less effective. So I'm just going to say they are there, and uh, you can try them, particularly vinegar I've heard good results from, but it's, it's, um, it's not... It's, you got to think differently. If you're going to be growing without toxins, you've got to think differently and you try to keep the weed from coming there in the first place. These are tools. They are there. 
but um, but try to use some of the other tools, you'll have better success. And you get more exercise using the stirrup hole. And that's pretty important when you but start getting to the RH, you want it. Did I? Mm -hmm. Thanks for reminding me. So at this point, I'm going to take a few minutes if people have questions. Um, the mic is there. We can, um, we can uh, have some, some questions. I'm sure that, that uh, I can tell you right now, if you want to ask me about particular weeds in Michigan, I don't even know the names of weeds, but um, I'll take whatever questions and answer however I can. That weed mat that you have there, does that yes. allow the water to go through it or yes. not? This, um, this product here, if you, um, if you hold it up to the light, you see it's woven. And uh, it's, it's very effective at, at holding down weeds. And if you go on the farm tour, you can see in the high tunnels, the, the weed pressure there, that had not been any, have anything grown in there for a long time. And the weed pressure was unbelievable. So we just put this down. We tried uh, going in there and taking the weeds out through rototilling and other means, and it just didn't work. And uh, so it lets the water through, and it does hold the weeds back. Um, could you elaborate a little bit more on, I know earlier you just said how you like to use mulches and chips. Yes. But the other day you also commented on, a, well, a gentleman had a comment about the video back to, back to back Eden to, yes. and how he uses mulch and chips. And you said uh, you don't typically like to do that. So I guess I'm a little confused. Okay. Um, yes. He asked me about that this morning before the seminar began because um, I did... I did say something that seemed a little bit contradictory, and so he wanted that clarified. And it was, I did not probably explain it as well as I should have. What I'm saying is, is that I believe strongly in mulches. Use mulches whenever you can. Uh, as the second line of defense against weeds, I like plant density as the first one, but secondly, to use mulches. You have to be careful when you use a product that is a very high carbon-nitrogen ratio, like straw and wood chips, wood chips being the worst, that um, they, they have a very high nitrogen demand. They just will suck nitrogen wherever they can. If you don't, like if you have a very well-rototilled garden, for example, and, and it's very soft, and you've put a lot of wood chips on there, and uh, those wood chips can start getting some really intimate contact with that soil, they can start taking nitrogen out of it. If it's, if it's a, a path, for example, where, where the, the surface is harder and smoother, then uh, there will not be too much interaction, and the draw from nitrogen in the soil is going to be very low. So it, 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 I wanted to state that there was a, a risk and that I had a friend who watched the video and tried it and told me it just absolutely sucked the life out of his garden. Uh, so you have, to be, you have to be careful. It can work very, very well. Um, one of the ladies here has told me last year and this year that she covered her whole garden with the chips and it's working very well. So, so it, it definitely can be a good thing. But just be aware that it can, if you're not careful, have some downsides. So just be aware of it. Got another uh, quick question. Um, have you heard about uh, you know, good bacteria and bad bacteria being in a certain place of the soil and when that gets tilled, they kind of get disturbed? Um, could you give me maybe in, any information on that? Sure. The question 
is uh, the good and bad bacteria, and, um, and when you till it, you disturb that. Are you making specific reference to um, the potential risks of tilling and the benefits of no-till? Is that really what you're driving after? Yeah, I'm after? just trying to figure out okay. more information, basically. The, the concept of no-till agriculture is one that is hotly debated in the commercial agriculture community, and more and more farms are moving toward a no-till uh, method of, of gardening, which typically requires a lot of Roundup because you have to kill everything before you can go back in with your second crop uh, if you're not going to be tilling it. Uh, there, there are some... Rototilling is a bad thing to do for your garden. I'll just say that right up front. Okay? That doesn't mean that we have to do it because of the way that we control weeds. We have to use polymulch, which requires that we till the soil because our soil is very hard, and you have to till it, rototill it, in order to make it possible to shape into a bed. In our raised beds, we don't do that. We don't do any tilling, and uh, we just go in with one crop after another and uh, fertilize in between, but, but other than basically raking it, uh, we don't have to do anything with it. Ellen White makes the statement that, that successful gardening or agriculture depends upon making broader, deeper furrows. And I'm very intrigued by that because there's definitely a case to be made if you look at the science and if you look at the data, there's definitely a case to be made for not disturbing the soil excessively because you're trying to build up bacterial and microbial populations of all kinds and then all these other creatures in there, earthworms, etc. They're moving through there and they're putting all those wonderful things in the soil and building an amazing soil tilth and then you come and beat it all apart. You just undid a lot of what you did. So, so I don't have a really clear answer on that. It's something that I have thought a lot about, and we have experience on both sides. And I think that uh, we don't need to till as much as we do. And we definitely don't need to rototill as much as we do. So as far as there might be other reasons we want to do it, but, but as far as bacterial and microbial populations, the less the better. Any other question? And that's another great plug for raised beds because most people See? come along and, and rototill their gardens at the beginning because they want to get rid of all those weeds and all that stuff and make the ground soft and friable and all that stuff. But if you've got a raised bed, then it's already all so nice. Okay. I have a question about the use of preen. Is that something that is beneficial for your garden? What, what is the product again? Preen that you put on to keep the weeds down. You work up your garden, they have it for vegetable gardens, and they have it for flower beds and so forth. I'm going to guess it's obviously a, um, a trade name, uh, yeah, which means that, um, and I'm going to guess, judging by the name of it, that it, is, uh, that it would be a, a, um, probably a pre-emergent herbicide of some type. Um, I don't know what the particular product is. I could uh, do an internet search very quickly. But uh, I am not fond of any uh, herbicides. Obviously, uh, I respect people who, who want to use herbicides, but I believe that the more time goes by, the more we are learning of the detrimental effects of, of uh, these synthetic biocides, whether they're killing an insect or killing a plant. They are... They are and I want to be very careful because I tend to, my wife tells me, uh, open my mouth a little too wide. 
But uh, I think that killing things to create life is an oxymoron. And I don't think that in a while down the road, if time were to last, I think we would look back at this era of using as much chemicals as we do in agriculture, similar to how we look at the, uh, the bloodletting of the 17th century. Like, that was really dumb. So, so um, I don't know the particular product, but I don't support, personally, um, the use of herbicides, even though certain applications it might be a good thing to do for, for uh, an individual. But generally speaking, uh, I don't like it. I don't know if you addressed uh, soil already and soil preparation. You probably did that already, uh, mixtures for soils and things. But I'd like to make a raised bed, and I'd like to sterilize the soil of weed seeds before I put it in. Um, I can get some good mulches. I can get some good uh, regular garden soil and mix it together. I don't, I'm not sure. I know that you've probably covered that already in your seminar. But is there a way that I can clean the soil of those weed seeds before I put it in for, for raised beds? This is a very good question. Is there a way of sterilizing the soil in order to get rid of weed seeds? When I was taking a, when I was taking a plant pathology at California State University, back a couple lifetimes ago, the, there was a new concept that my professor was presenting that I was very intrigued with. And um, basically, when you go in and sterilize anything, you are creating a biological vacuum. And if you go back and look at some of the points that I mentioned at the very beginning, when God created the universe, he put biological opportunity there. In other words, there's opportunity for life. God created that, and God does not like to see waste. And so the instant you have anything sterilized, you are creating a biological vacuum that is going to be, that is going to be encouraging anything to grow and grow rapidly. Um, I like to be at the opposite end of the spectrum where, where you crowd out either pathogen or weed by using the, um, by overcoming evil with good. And so, um, going to the, to the mixes for, for a raised bed or anything like that, I really, I really like to use a material that is going to be weed-free to begin with as much as possible. That's why I make the mix uh, that we do with sand, which is typically very low in weed seed, and then I find a thoroughly composted material. If it has been properly composted, and I don't like stuff that has animal products in it, so you can get a lot of forest mulches and things like that very readily. Um, those things, if they've been composted properly, are going to be free of weed seed. And so if you mix 50% organic matter and 50% uh, sand, and uh, you can use things like a said sphagnum peat or cocoa peat that, uh, for part of that, um, that those are also weed-free. So my preference is to use a mix that you know is going to be absent of, of weed. And it is becoming increasingly difficult to find a legal way of sterilizing. Um, with that, I think I'm... I'm uh, if it's a quick question, we can okay. take it. The sand you use, is it a fine sand or coarse sand? And where do you get it from? I just get, a, I just get somebody to bring me a truckload of cheap sand. 
uh, not wash sand, just um, pit run um, sand. And I've had stuff that was very fine, and I've had stuff that was quite coarse, and they both seem to work. Uh, I would probably prefer towards the finer side rather than towards the super coarse side. And preferably a range of like something that's not just one size sand, like like concrete sand. Although you can use that and use it fine, yeah. but uh, it's not particularly fussy from my experience. There's just one other question: ants. Do you regard those as enemies of the garden or friends? I mean, if God made it, um, He said everything was very good. Um, sometimes, like weeds, good things can be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, and. Uh, we, most of the people where we live, we have these really nasty ants that bite, they're harvester ants, and they, they're pretty painful. And so most people in Arizona consider them to be enemies. When they get in the field, they'll kill all the plants in the little area because they're building their little nest there. But other than that, I haven't seen any harm from them. So generally speaking, ants are not a problem, but they certainly can be. In the greenhouse here, we had them uh, eating the kale plants off as fast as we could put them in. And so we had to go in and, and uh, find where they came from and take care of them. So it's kind of not a real About clear answer that either way. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Again, Father, we're thankful for the world that you've created. We're thankful for the um, wisdom that you want to impart to us and the brains that you've given us to learn and discover. I pray that we will take advantage of these tools and resources in order to be uh, bringing honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.